0: If you've got a Bible, let me encourage you to grab it and make your way to the first chapter of the first book of the New Testament. That's Matthew chapter one. If you don't have a Bible, one around you somewhere should be one and we will be on page 523 if you don't have a Bible with you. And if you don't have one, take that. Home with you um, made an announcement about Christmas Eve. I just want to kind of reiterate that 530 this coming Saturday evening in here. It's a time where you turn the lights down a little bit and we just sing six or seven Christmas carols very simply um, and uh, lots of scripture reading. And then we'll take communion together and then we'll go home, um, you know, silently with with uh, candles in our hand as we walk out of this place. And then on Sunday morning, we'll get back in here again. And it will just be very simple. We'll have a piano and we'll just sing some Christmas carols. I'll share a couple of thoughts about what Christmas is all about. Uh, and then we will uh, continue uh, to worship the Lord uh, at home with our families. Uh, but Matthew chapter one, if if you think uh, about your, your life, you can probably pinpoint a few moments in your life that are kind of like defining moments in your life. Moments when uh, everything changed for you. When the world changed, like something happened and your whole world was changed. Now, that could be a bad decision at times. That could be a tragedy that happens. That could be the death of a loved one. That could be a diagnosis. But it could be a good decision as well. A decision that, that kind of changed everything. It could be, you know, maybe the, a moment that changed everything for you was de- deciding to go to college or to go into the working world. Maybe it was what college to go to and that set a trajectory for your life. Maybe it was taking a job. Maybe it was changing jobs. Maybe it was getting married. Maybe it was having a child. Maybe it was going with that friend of yours who kept inviting you to church over and over and over and over. And you heard the gospel and you eventually became a believer in Jesus Christ. And it changed your life. Maybe it was joining the military. Maybe it was going into the ministry. Maybe it was retiring. These moments and times. And for most of us, there's probably several of those moments that we kind of look back over our life that are just kind of defining moments Providential moments in our lives. Maybe we didn't recognize it at the time, but now looking back, we we see, man, that was a that was a defining moment in our lives. But globally and eternally, okay, and cosmically, perhaps the greatest moment where everything changed was the moment when the eternal Son of God, remaining what he was, God, became what he was not. Man, okay, and Jesus being born, wrapped in swaddling clothes, and laid in a manger, that moment changed everything eternally, globally, cosmically. I mean, even just culturally, if you think about it, you can see how Jesus has changed everything. I'll give you one small example, and that's the calendar, right? The calendar completely revolves around Jesus. Everything before Jesus' birth is B.C., before Christ. Everything after Jesus' approximate date of birth is A.D., Anno Domini. That's Latin, stands for the year of our Lord. And so this is the 2016, the year of our Lord, 2016, 2016, A.D. So even the, the calendar is culturally shaped by Christ's birth, by Christmas. Christmas changed everything, even our calendar. But beyond that, because of Christmas, because this baby was born into the world, son of God. There's now hope for the world. There's now peace that will come. There's now the forgiveness of sins that can be had eternal life where we can not only know about God, but we can know him as father and friend. Because of Christmas and the first advent, the first coming of Christ, there will be a second advent, a second coming of Christ, where everything that's gone wrong will be made right. There'll be new heavens. There'll be new earth. No more death. No more disease. No more sin. No more sorrow. No more tears. And so cosmically and eternally, Jesus, Christmas, right, His birth, Christmas changes everything. But then personally, in our own lives, through faith, Jesus changes everything. And I want to show that to you this morning through a guy who doesn't get a whole lot of press time. He doesn't get a whole lot of ink in the pages of the New Testament. He's only mentioned three or four times. But a guy who we see in his life, the change that Jesus makes, and that's his adoptive father, Joseph. And so, Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. This is not a, you know, hey, here's a little morality tale to be like Jesus. No, no, no. Or to be like Joseph. We do want to be like Jesus. But a little morality tale to be like Joseph. I'm not telling you we're trying to be like Joseph. I want to show you kind of as a testimony through his life, how Jesus, how Christmas, changes everything. And so, Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. Read it with me. Page 523. His people from their sins. And the moment Jesus, all right, the moment Joseph heard these words about Jesus, that the boy he would raise, his son would be the Messiah. He would be the Son of God. He would be the Savior of the world, the King, and he's coming to save his people from their sins, including Joseph. When he heard that, Joseph's life was forever changed because that's what Jesus does in our lives. He changes us. All right, Jesus changes everything. I didn't give you a sermon guide, but if you want to take notes, that's going to be number one this morning. Jesus changes everything. So let's go back to verse 18, and kind of lay out kind of the background of this and and start stringing along and understand how this rolls out. So verse 18. Quietly. And so here's what's going on. You've got Mary school girl. She's probably 13, 14, 15 years old. She's betrothed to Joseph and betrothal means a little bit more than just engagement as we understand it today. It was kind of a legally binding um, uh, pledged to someone. All right. And so she was she and Joseph being betrothed to one another. It was kind of legally binding. That's why to break that off, he would have to get a divorce. Now, they weren't yet married. All right. They didn't live as married people. They didn't live together. They didn't sleep together. They had not uh, consummated their covenant. They looked forward to that day after this betrothal period, which was usually about a year. And so they're betrothed to one another. They're waiting for that official day. Alright, so they're betrothed and then Gabriel, the angel, shows up at Mary's house and tells her that God has favored her and that she's going to give birth to the savior of the world and she's pregnant. Okay, so just put yourself there. That, that is a bomb being dropped on you in a moment's, I mean, that is gonna be a bit overwhelming. And it's, and it's awesome and it's also terrifying on a multitude of levels, one of which is that she's betrothed and now she's pregnant. That's going to be a bit of a problem. So then verse 19 starts to tell us a little bit about Joseph. And tells us that he's a just man, right? He's a good man. He's probably 16, 17 years old. He loves God. He's got a good job. He's a carpenter. He's a just and good man. Okay, like that's a guy I want my daughters to marry, a guy who loves the Lord. You know, with all his heart, his mind, his soul, his strength. Loves them. Has a good job. This is, this is a guy I want my daughters to marry. And, and that's who Joseph is. He's, he's crazy about the Lord and he's crazy about Mary. Can't wait to marry her. And then she comes to him and tells him, I'm pregnant. And everything he's been dreaming of, planning for, hoping for, looking forward to is crushed. Uh, don't read the Bible like CNN or like Fox News or whatever. Re- like, see the emotion. Put yourself there and feel the emotion. Here, Joseph's got to be thinking: How could she do this to me? How could she, you know, destroy this and shack up with some other guy? And now, like, she's she's pregnant. I thought she loved me. We've been waiting. I gave her a purity ring. What's going on here? Why? How could she do this? but he was a just man and he loved Mary and he knows that she could be stoned in this culture for her unfaithfulness, for her adultery. And so he resolves to divorce her quietly. All right, now, again, that brings us back to verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph. Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And again, Joseph hears that and it changes everything. And Joseph had these plans for his life. He had these goals for his life. He had these things he wanted to accomplish. Mary comes to him, tells him that she's pregnant. That turns his world upside down. And then while he's preparing to divorce her quietly, an angel appears to him and tells him that, hey, Mary's whacked out explanation about being pregnant by the Holy Spirit. It's legit. It's true. It just turns his world more upside down. And the angel tells him, hey, and this child is going to be the one. The one that's been promised from long ago. The one that's going to come and save his people from their sins. And so call his name Jesus. And so I don't know, but maybe Jesus, uh, maybe Joseph began connecting the dots a little bit here. And he's like, Isaiah 7, the virgin that's going to give birth to the savior. That's Mary. This is crazy. And it's not just because, like having a baby, they were having a baby, that it changed everything, right? I mean, babies, babies do change a ton of things. But in Joseph's life, the reason it changes literally everything, and in our lives as well, the reason it changes everything is because verse twenty-one: For he will save his people from their sins. Like that's the whole reason that Jesus came. He came to seek and save the lost. He did not come to give us a cuddly story. He did not come to give us a moral improvement program. He did not come to make us therapeutic, moralistic deists. He came to save sinners like you and like me from our sin. He came to live a life without sin because we haven't. To die a death for sin as like paying our penalty that we owe first. And Jesus came to pay that and then rise again in victory. And so never divorce. Never divorce the winugo covered baby in a manger from the blood covered man on the cross. That's why he came. To seek and save sinners. Like me. And like every one of you. And that's kind of one of the first things we have to admit and be willing to admit and say, you, I mean, folks, I love you. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. And we've sinned against, and this is what we need to think about the God of the universe. So even if you're not a believer, if there's a God, And if he's sovereign over all things, and if he has laid out the, you know, it's, it's, it's his world, he can do with it as he pleases, and we've rebelled against him, we've sinned against him, he's gonna have a problem with that. And so God is good, and he's holy, and he's just, and so sin must be punished. He would cease to be good. He would cease to be loving. He would cease to be holy if He just was like, no big deal. So sin is going to be punished. Justice will be served. And we bear the wrath of God against sin and wickedness. He's good. He hates wickedness. There's wrath. But the good news of great joy which has come to all the people is that God sent Jesus to, to pay this for us, to take the wrath for us. That's why he lived perfectly since we didn't. That's why he died on the cross, bearing the wrath of God in our place for our sins. And he rose again, basically holding a, a, a record of all our sins with a great big stamp over it that says, boom, paid in full. And that good news changes everything about our lives. About our eternity. About our here and now. There's now mercy and there's forgiveness and there's freedom from guilt and shame and there's grace and there's hope and there's love and there's peace and there's life. Because Jesus came to save sinners. And it changes us. It changed Joseph. I mean, this this change that came in Joseph's life when he understood that this child was going to be the Savior, when he got it and he understood it, it produced obedience in him. Not because he had to do something to try to earn God's love, but because he was so overwhelmed at the goodness of God that he couldn't help now but obey God. He wanted to. And so his obedience produced... right. Obedience flowed out of his faith. His faith produced obedience and the obedience flowed out of it. And that's the second thing I want us to see kind of out of the life of Joseph this morning. Obedience flows out of faith. So we'll get verse 20 with me again. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Now, skip down to verse 13. All right. This, now, when they, that's the wise men, all right, had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed. To Egypt. Now skip down to verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, rise, Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and he took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. And so what we see here is every time God told Joseph to do something, he obeyed. Right? Why? Why? Again, not because he somehow has to try to earn God's favor through obedience, but because he's already been favored. He's been shown grace. And so now his heart enamored, enamored at the supremacy of God over all things, burns inside of him with an affection to live for God and follow him no matter what it costs. Because of the grace and the love and the joy and the hope and the peace And the assurance that he has from God, okay? His obedience flowed out of his faith. Bringing glory to God. It's not a law thing. It's a love thing. I mean, think about this. I've said it 10,000 times. Every single time we go through starting point and I'm explaining our purpose statement that we exist to worship and enjoy God and lead others to do the same, Uh, I give this illustration. If I come home on my anniversary, right? Sarah and I are going to celebrate 15 years, uh, our next one. If I come home on our 15-year anniversary and I bring her some sort of gift of some sort and and she asks me why I did that and I'm just like, we've been married for 15 years. It's what you do. Here you go. Happy anniversary. That's not honoring her. Right now I'm doing my duty. Like I brought, I did, I did my duty. I, I got her, but it, in no way is it honoring her. In no way is it living her. It's just me trying to avoid, you know, her being ticked off at me. It's there's no honoring involved in that, and it's the same with God, because God is not after our beat down, begrudging submission. He's after our joy. All right. In him, not in stuff he gives, but it not like not in little trinkets and gifts, but in him as the gift. That's what we value. That's what's supreme in our life. And so we live with a glad submission to his reign and rule over us and we love him and we make much of him. That brings Him glory and honor and praise. Where Again, we are just enamored with His goodness and His grace and His mercy and His power and His cross and His gospel and how He loves us and how He forgives us and how He changes us. Who He is and what He's done. And so like with my wife on our anniversary, I'm not bringing her... You know, flowers or for her, a massage or some new running shoes. Because it's my duty, right? Though it is my duty. I bring her those things because I love her. Because she's mine and I am hers. Because my heart is captivated by her. And that's the obedience that God wants us to walk in. That's what it looks like. It flows out of our faith in him. It flows out of our thankfulness and our gratitude and our love and and the grace we've been given. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to always be easy. In fact, sometimes it's going to be unbelievably costly. I mean, you think about our, our, our boy Joseph again. He had all these plans for his life, he had all these goals for his life, all these dreams, and in a moment, they're gone. Right. When Mary shows up pregnant and then the angel tells him, Oh, Jesus is coming to save his people from your sins and you are to raise him. That changed everything in his life. And then most of what we read of him when he's recorded in, in scripture is just him moving his family all over the place in obedience to God. And they go from Bethlehem to Egypt and then from Egypt to Nazareth. All right. It wasn't easy and it was costly. And again, put yourself in the story. Think about it. Don't like, Get the emotion. Try to imagine what it had to be like for Joseph beyond the moving around. It's like even in this little section that we're looking at this morning. Think about the shots that he took from those around him. Just what are you doing? She cheated on you. She, she slept with someone else and you're still going to marry her? No, it's not like that, folks. It's not. Oh, so so you're the one who got her pregnant. No, she's with child from the Holy Spirit. An angel came and told me. Right that. Yeah, we still love you, but we need to talk. Now, think about the scorn that he faced. Think about the humiliation. He's got people defriending him on Facebook. His son is mocked as illegitimate. People think his wife is a tramp. And they think he's either a fool or a fornicator himself. But Joseph follows God anyway. Why would he do that? Again, because he's been changed by an encounter with God. The Gospel has changed and the Mack truck of the Gospel has run over him and he looks different. He is changed. He's now enamored with the glory and the supremacy of God. And so he's willing to endure the jeers and endure the mockery and endure the shame and sacrifice listen, his desires and his wants and his craving to live a life of grateful Obedience to the one who would sacrifice himself for Joseph's sins. But it may not always be easy, right? It may not. Um, Sometimes you're going to endure some shame and some mockery, a false reputation. But Christ, who also endured shame and mockery and a false reputation, and he did it for you and he did it for me, is always with you in that. And so, again, the gospel on one hand is this absolute free gift. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. But on the other hand, it's costly. And it's going to change your lives. It's going to change your world. You turn away from sin. You turn away from the world. You turn to Christ. And obedience flows out of that faith. And so let me ask you, I mean, the question we have to ask here then is, well, is the, the life that I live, does it match up with the faith I profess? Now, because you have to do things in order to, be, you know, earn God's love, but because you've been changed. And now you've been freed up and you want to do that. You desire I'm not saying that no, you're going to be perfect, but there's a striving, there's a yearning and there's a fighting towards that. Jesus changes people, and obedience flows out of faith. One more thing, we'll be done. Number three, if you're taking notes, marveling over Jesus is something that we never get over. Marveling over Jesus is something you never get over. And so at at Providence, one of the things that we're really good at, and I'm very proud of us for this, is we're pretty good at making babies. You go over there... way to go guys keep it up so like seriously this is something that's great you go over there and it's crowded we got a gazillion preschoolers and that's awesome we always want to be you know having babies and and seeing little image bearers of god coming into the world we love that let's keep doing that and whenever you have a new baby everybody just marvels at how beautiful they are how cute they are you know what a gift they are and they are absolutely but with Jesus, it's a marveling that we never get over. Because it's not just a, you know, Ricky Bobby marveling over a little baby Jesus. It's marveling over sinless Jesus, living a perfect life in our place. It's marveling over authority Jesus, commanding the winds and the waves and disease and death and demons to obey Him, and they do. It's marveling over suffering servant Jesus dying for our sins on the cross. It's marveling over victorious Jesus rising again, conquering death. It's it's marveling over eternal Jesus ascending back to the right hand of the Father. It's marveling over warrior King Jesus returning someday on a white horse to judge the living and the dead. It's marveling over eternally on the throne Jesus being worshipped for all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth by people He saved from every tongue and every tribe and every nation and every language exclaiming with the heavenly beings, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And it's just something you never get over. And that's what the Christian life is all about. It's a never-ending marveling over Jesus Christ. I mean, you just do a word search in the Gospels on the word marvel or wonder. And from the shepherds, to the wise man to, to Simeon, all the way to Peter at the resurrection, the disciples at the ascension. It's just constantly, and they marvel and they mar go, I mean go get up and they marveled and they marveled and they marveled and it's just something you never get over but especially yeah this time of year marveling once again over this baby this son of god in a manger yet upholding the universe by the power all right by the word of his power Now incarnate, all right, so fully God and fully man, with all power and authority on earth and under the earth, come to rescue treacherous, undeserving sinners like me, like you, through his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, awakening us up out of death into life, such that all who simply repent and believe. might be forgiven and given life and given freedom and given joy and in this life given purpose and meaning. That's the message of Christmas. And it's something I can't ever get over. Why should I gain from His reward? We sing that sometimes. Why? Why would He love me like that? Why would he love you like that? And it's just grace. It's God's unmerited, free grace. Grace that is greater than all my sin. And so this Christmas, marvel over Jesus. Marvel over his grace and his goodness. And his love towards you in christ his power his glory his calling his mercy marvel over this plan of god a baby born in a manger that changed everything Most proud. Father, when we think about your grace, when we think about the gospel, when we think about the good news of great joy for all the people that a Savior came into the world and lived and died and rose again in our place for our sins. It's beyond words to try to contemplate, to try to understand, to try to... It's beyond words that the emotion that swells in free grace being given to any and all who would repent and believe and trust you and what you've done, Jesus. Not what we do, but what you've done to be what saves us, what makes us right with you. And so, Father, I pray this Christmas season that that would be something that we just meditate on and and truly marvel at. This grace and this gift that you've given. You didn't have to. We sinned. We've blown it. We deserve wrath. But you gave grace. You sent Jesus. To take wrath for us. It's a gift of free grace. We did nothing to deserve it. Did nothing to earn it. Stagger us anew. With this good. Invigorating news. Now let us not keep it to ourselves. But to shed it abroad. Even as the shepherds did. Going back and telling everyone. In Jesus' name.